0: We neglected to properly introduce Mark when we spoke earlier today, so uh, it's Chris here just hopping back in to uh, record a bit afterwards. I had this in the notes, but we were uh, chatting before the show and so eager just to get going with, with the recording that we just went right into our conversation. Mark Radici is an amateur astronomer from Salisbury, which is in the United Kingdom, He observes everything from the sun, moon, planets, deep sky. He both sketches and images and uses a variety of equipment like an 11-inch McCasperine telescope, a 90-millimeter wide-field refractor. He's got four-inch binoculars, and as well, he has a 14-inch daub that he takes to his uh, local star parties there in the UK. He's a returning guest, and so if you just Google Mark Radici on actual astronomy, you'll find uh, he's been on the show a few times before. And... uh, Better yet, you can actually go and check out his YouTube channel, which is called Refreshing Views. He has all kinds of really interesting content on the Refreshing Views YouTube channel, which he does just for fun like we do. He goes into people's observatories with their permission and they give him a proper tour of it, not like uh, when they're not around or anything. And then also uh, shows you how he's observing shows you some of his equipment that he's using as well. He takes you on uh, trips. And this time when we're talking to Mark, he's going to tell us about his recent trip. He's really just back from this trip to the Winter Star Party that's held in Florida each year, though for the past two years, it was canceled due to COVID. But this year they were up and running. And with that, we're going to take you to the conversation we just had with Mark Radici. I think you'll enjoy this one. The Winter Star Party with Mark Radici on episode 305 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And I'm wondering, did Mark get a tan in Florida?
1: Oh, good, good morning. Well, it's good afternoon in, in here in England. So good morning to you guys in Canada. Yes, yes, it was sunny in Florida, uh, which was rather pleasant. But I've also got hundreds of mosquito bites as well. So what <laughs> the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away.
0: Excellent. So we're, we've are we been suffering through minus 40 the uh the the only good news with that is you hardly ever see a mosquito at those temperatures
1: I see uh, it was really good It's such we didn't have the winter star party for the last two years for obviously for the for the lockdown so 2020 was the last time it went ahead so 21 it was canceled 2022 it was cancelled so it was really nice to get out there again and you just have this beautiful uh, sort of tropical Island you've got the palm trees you've got big telescopes they've got talks during the day vendors and at night, of course, you you've got the beauty of this sort of tropical southern skies. You get to look through big telescopes, little telescopes, hundreds of observers, images all together. It's a such a wonderful experience. I just wish it was longer. That's the only thing I need.
2: Yeah. Where whereabouts in Florida is that, Mark? Like what's the nearest major center or where do you fly into? What, you know, some of those logistics?
1: So I flew from London to Miami. So it's about a 10 hour flight. And then stayed overnight at the airport hotel, picked a hire car up. And then I'll so say it's about a three-hour drive south from the airport down. So you drive south. Uh, you know that film with Arnold Schwarzenegger when they fly the Harrier Jump Jets yeah, uh, yeah. over that motorway? But it's that, that's the road you travel along. So there's a yeah. highway across all the tropical islands uh, across the Florida Keys. And then you get to, it's called Scout's Key uh, because that's the name, because it's got this uh, boy's uh, boys scout campsites and the girls scout campsite so it's about a three hour drive south of miami next big town will be key west which is the town at the very end and then if you go further south the next light pollution is from uh, cuba from havana wow Um,
2: that's awesome and did i so you you had sent us some photographs and uh it looks like you brought a tent and that was your accommodations while you were there
1: yeah, so the the family don't come, so it's just me who has this trip from you know northern Europe to the tropics of of Florida. So everyone at work and at home says, "You what? You get to Florida for a week and without your family?" So I do <laughs> yeah. have to point out I do camp for a week at the at the campsite. So I put got a little one man sort of backpacking tent, uh, mm-hmm. and then put all my so in the cabin on the aircraft. I put my Megray, my ninety millimeter William optics Megray. Camera, binoculars, eyepieces—that all comes with me in the hold. Sorry, it all comes with me in the cabin. In the cabin, special carry-on bag, and I put the tripod. I put my tent, sleeping bag, clothes, etc. They all go in the suitcase. That case in the hold, and so I can, yeah, so I can observe. Stay, stay there for the week. Some people uh, hire an RV or drive an RV, and they 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 camp in those. So you can either camp in a tent or camp in an RV. And some other people, they they also will stay locally, and then you drive in and out. Yeah, get, mm-hmm. a, get a get a hotel room or a motel room, and then drive in and out every day. And I'm amazed. So people say to me, "Gosh, you've come, you come a long way. You've come, you know, flown all that distance and stuff." And I speak to people who come from your part of the world, you know, from from north of Toronto or Montreal, Quebec, and they've driven for three days to, <laughs> to, to get there. And then, of course, at the end of the week, they're driving three days to get back. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I. Oh, I jump on the plane. I drink a gin and tonic, and I watch a movie, and I have a sleep. (laughs) Yeah, the next day I'm at the star party, and and, yeah, they've had that huge, huge, huge long drive, so I'm very impressed.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, about how many people attend?
1: So the numbers were really down. So when I first went a few years ago, obviously long before lockdown, uh, there there must have been 500 people. I'm guessing 500, 600 people from from all over uh you know, the sort of northern United States, a few Europeans, a few Australians. this time there was only a few hundred, I'd say three hundred people, I think there was, and I don't know if that's the legacy of Covid and lockdown, some people being nervous to travel, but yeah, the numbers were really down, so there's a lot more space, a lot more uh lot more room to move. but uh conversely, therefore, there were fewer telescopes to look through, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: numbers were really down, but you know, we still had an awesome time, you know, we observed every night, the last night was really windy. So I was doing some sort of landscape shots, you know, trying to capture shots of Orion and the palm trees and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a derby night, but, you know, for hours at a time.
2: Yeah, right on. So this wasn't your first trip, though, to the Western Star Party. Is that correct? You've been there before? So,
1: yeah, so I've been several times before. And it's oh, it's such a tonic because I don't know if it, you know, do you guys get bad winters in Canada? Do I need to ask this question? How <laughs> <did> you? <laughs>
2: Winter? I, I don't know what you speak of.
1: <laughs> t shirt and shorts all the time, isn't it up there? So in <laughs> well, in the UK, we don't get the extreme colds that you guys get. You know, we get it can be very, it can be cold, but i will be you know really cold snap down here in Southern England. would be sort of minus ten degrees Celsius. Uh, but mostly the time, it, yeah, it's of that grey, damp, cloudy. You know, not quite cold, but not not hot. And then you land in Miami, and I come out to the airport. You know, we go to stay at the airport hotel, and it's 20 degrees Celsius, you know, the sun shining, and it's what you can just feel your, you know, your vitamin D levels start climbing straight away. <laughs> so yeah, so I went in 2014 was the first time I went and just had such a blast. I thought, I've got to do this every other year, I try and do it, yeah. uh, sometimes I'm a bit more, and obviously not for the last couple of years with with travel restrictions in place. So when you camp there, can you just
0: go and kind of set your tent up anywhere? I, I was kind of surprised to see that I know people have gone before in the past and they've rented, I think what used to be called Chickies, or there's these big tents you can rent and that sort of thing. But um what what kind of cost is involved? Like do you have to pay for sort of that?
1: Well, I'll tell you what then. I will while I'm answering the question. Well, I'll tell you what, while I'm answering that question, if you, you can Google the cost, if you and I can't remember what it is, like a couple of hundred bucks or something like that, and you have to pay to for your ticket to get into the star party and then you pay camping or rv fees as well so they used to have what they called chickies so the first time i went i camped that means you gotta take a tent and a sleeping bag and all that sort of thing and they used to have what they called chickies which were these thatched huts uh, on the shoreline proper sort of little tropical huts and they had the this what the uh, girl scouts camped in and so I thought, well, rather than taking my tent and setting that all up, I'll just rent a, a bunk in one of these chickies. And I really didn't enjoy it. One, there were other people in there, so you got people snoring, and you got kit and stuff. And yeah. but someone would always, yeah, you know, get up early and wake everybody up, and then someone would come in late, and yeah, you know, so I, I didn't like it. But the real hassle was that they were designed for, you know, young Girl Scouts. You know, so I'm six foot tall. My feet, or my knees probably hung off the end of the the bunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought, no, in future, I'm going to camp. So, I've, I've never stayed in the chicky since. But I did notice this year what they'd done is they'd hired these sort of glamping pods. To be, okay. Is that the place you have over there? So, you know, glamorous camping.
2: Yeah. Yep, for yeah. sure.
1: So, so they had these glamping pods so people could, you know, you had your own bunk, so you had your own space and they had air conditioning and a little deck and stuff. So, you oh, wow. can sleep in a little bit more in the mornings because, you know, you don't get too hot. So that's what I did. But no, it's so on a first-come, first-served basis. So as you drive down the highway, uh, you can't go wrong because if you turn left, you get wet. If you turn right, you get wet. So you've got to go straight down the highway. <laughs> and you come to the campsite and you, and you pull in, uh, you go and register. And it is, you just help yourself to, to where you want to camp. And you've got these two choices. Uh, you can either turn left and go and camp on the sort of beachfront, what they call the berm, the sand berm, where, where, where you know, literally on the beachfront. But I prefer to go and camp a bit more sheltered down by the trees. So you turn right as you get into the campsite, and there's all the all the trees there. So you get a little bit more shade, so it's a little bit cooler. You know, particularly in your tent first thing in the morning. Plus, of course, when the wind blows, it can be quite windy with those sort of trade winds coming in. You can then camp, and uh, you know, in, in, sorry, you can then set your telescope up, and you're not being buffeted by the wind. Hmm. and some of the guys who rush to get a set on the berm the beauty of the berm is of course you're away from all the trees so you can see right down to the horizon you haven't got any you know restrictions so if you want to image if you want to observe with the big dobsonians then you yeah, know that's the place to be but i actually prefer to be on there yeah. and with my little telescope. it's only a 90 millimeter refractor i could lift it up and move it around the trees you know so Trying to think some of the low objects, some of the classics, you know, Omega Centauri, Itacarina, you know, obviously you can't see those from England, can't see those, but uh, well, pretty much sort of Southern from Europe. Yep. And then, you know, there they were just skirting the tree line. So I put my telescope up, moved them to one side and I could see them through a gap in the trees, but I wasn't being blown over by the wind, by the strong wind.
0: So there was, there was that much wind there, I guess it'd be pretty exposed in that location.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's different weather systems coming through. So there was a couple of nights when it was quite windy, but yeah, we were sheltered by the trees and you know, managed to carry on observing.
0: Nice. And how cold does it get at night? Like, uh, you know, does it get like 20 degrees or does it stay like around 25 or what's the nighttime? Um,
1: well, gosh, sometimes it got quite cold. You had to go put, you know, a fleece on or a jacket. It would oh. get that cold.
2: <laughs> sometimes inside my house. Yeah
0: yeah <laughs> wearing a fleece jacket right now in fact
1: yeah. <laughs> so yeah sometimes you put a uh, you know yeah trousers pants on or something like that mm-hmm. just because the mosquitoes little no would come mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. you know, There was one day when it rained and then the neck there was no wind that night and you could just feel the little bites you know coming in because there was no wind but the nights that it was windy uh you did definitely k- could observe for a bit longer and there was one night where it wasn't windy and you could just feel the humidity, you could feel the dew almost forming on every, mm-hmm. on every optical surface. Do, so do, a lot of people camp- so,
0: do a lot of people camp there?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I would say three-quarters of the people camp there. Mm. So three-quarters of the attendees must camp. And then I would say some people are driving in and out. Uh, and then some people are in the RVs
2: as well. Are there many amenities there for restaurants or showers or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so there's a catering van, so you can get snacks and, you know, bite to eat and coffee and that sort of thing. Uh, they've got restrooms, they've got showers. Yeah, they're, and they're quite nice. You know, they're, they're campsite facilities, but they are nice. Uh, they've got a little jetty, so you can go for a swim every day. So you can imagine going for a swim before you go to, <laughs> you know. So Sounds amazing. Now.
2: Yeah.
1: So, one of the things I tried to do every day, and I still got to process the photographs, was I'd photograph the sun. So, every day I photograph the sun through my Herschel wedge so I can oh. see the sunspots. Mm-hmm. So, over the week, you obviously see the sun rotate. Oh, cool. And sunspots were coming and going. So, once the sunspots disappeared over the limb, and another set would appear. So, I'd do that you know, late morning, about 11, 12 o'clock, before it got really hot. So, trying to get the best of the scene. And then, of course, you'd be really hot because you're standing out in the sun observing. So, well, I'll go for a swim. Go, go, for a swim in the sea and cool myself down.
2: <laughs> oh, geez, that sounds amazing.
1: Good. Oh, it was just brilliant, absolutely amazing.
0: So, what other equipment did you take? You took your little nanny, uh, Migres. What, what other scopes or binoculars or anything like like that did you take? Or so
1: that- I took my little DSLR camera and the and some lenses i have the eyepiece so i have my eyepieces binary no viewers that sort of thing on the 90 millimeter magrate. but i was i was very fortunate because on one of my earlier trips i i was sort of lucky to be camped next to a group who are who are regulars they go every year without fail they've been every year and they one of the chaps who comes on there jim jim Pickering, he has a 22 inch dob oh and my. a 28 inch dob you know and he still keeps the 22 even though he upgraded he you know, still enjoys that so I'm so lucky because you know I just have that chance to look through these big scopes. scopes I you know can't imagine having you know by myself and, and enjoying it plus of course you're in these tropical skies you know these objects I just can't see from the UK so you know my, my poor little Megway so you know I used it for a few hours every night but I did spend hours at the eyepiece of the 22 inch so Jim likes to use the 28 inch and that had the tracking and the go-to so he would be looking at that. And sometimes we'd observe the same objects and compare the views and we were trying right. to explore stuff together. So, one of our highlights, I think I sent you the picture, was Abel 1367, which is the galaxy cluster in Leo.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, a bit like Mark Arian's chair, and you've got an eyepiece that's full of galaxies but it's about 10 times richer. I mean, they're, they're, there's loads of galaxies and they're all close together, all touching. The problem is they're about 10 times fainter as well, so a lot further away than Markarian's chain. And it was brilliant, we had this big telescope and we were calling across to each other, what can you see, what, comparing my notes with his notes. So. so, yeah, so there we were under this tropical sky, you know, with a 22-inch you know, mirror, 22-inch telescope, using a stepladder to get up mm-hmm. to the eyepiece. It was that tall.
2: Oh, wow. That's uh that sounds like a great way to spend the night under a dark sky
1: <laughs> with yeah, a twenty two inch telescope. Wonderful. Wow. That's good. So the other thing I did was try and photograph Jupiter. Every evening I photograph Jupiter and try to get the so one of the things I will do is get around to processing the the moons, obviously change over that week. So every night they'll be in a different position. And you know those uh charts you get in the sky and telescope and astronomy now where the moons, you know, that little sine wave as they go around their orbits. So I want to try and produce that for the week as well. So outermost Callisto and innermost Io as they do their orbits.
2: Mm-hmm. So, how so many? Mark, you, you've been there a few times. How how consistent is the weather? Like, uh, are you often cloudless and able to observe?
1: Well, it's never perfect. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's not always perfect, I should say, in the sense that, you know, if you're there for the week, you might lose a night or two, or you might lose parts of parts of the nights for cloud or high winds. But I would say consistently, it's been clear a number of nights, you know, for, for the worst. Of months. So I first went in 2014 and it was glorious, you know, hot in the day, warm at night. There was no dew because there was always a gentle breeze. Yeah. And I had an absolute wonderful time. I can remember one day it rained really hard, absolutely chucked it down. And I thought, thank God for that because I'm so tired. having like four all nighters (laughs) it was a real relief to have a have a clear night sorry to have a cloudy night
2: yeah and the
1: next day the sky was so clear because the rain had all washed all that dust and stuff Mm -hmm. out of the sky fresh wind fresh air coming behind it and we're about three in the morning and we're standing at the berm you know having a coffee having a chocolate brownie and i said oh no look out over the sea look out to the south and there was this cloud this 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 band of cloud coming in i thought oh no it's clouding over again and the guy next to me said no no he said that that's not cloud that's the milky way rising oh wow (laughs) (laughs) the summer Milky way and i thought it was cloud but of course it was out to sea so there's no light pollution out to sea so i would say it's consistently you know it's good you're gonna you're gonna get some you know multiple hours of observing in over the week and i i do more observing in this one week than i do in yeah whole months back in england oh yeah Um, Mm -hmm. Well, just because you dedicate the time. So I don't mind staying up until three or four in the morning because you you can have a lion or try and lion in in the morning. Whereas, of course, back home with work and family, it's not so easy to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly when, when Chris and I go down to grasslands for two or three nights uh i'm usually pretty much a zombie by the end of that so i can't even imagine (laughs) you know a full week but like you say i guess when you sort of plan for it and and that's the purpose you you know you find probably opportunities for the odd nap or or you know a little additional sleep
1: so yeah so the worst thing was what i hate doing is coming back you know the it's lovely to see the family. It's lovely to be back home, but, you know, it's cold and grey. And I'm like, oh, what have I come back from <laughs> then, Yeah, so it was it. So I flew back on Monday morning. So I landed Monday morning. I hadn't been to bed because it's the it's the overnight flight from America back to the UK. So I got home Monday afternoon or Monday lunchtime-ish. Uh, had to stay awake. Had to don't, don't go to bed. Don't go to bed. Don't have a sleep because if I can stay awake till about 8 or 9 o'clock, I can reset my jet lag all in one go. But then, of course, I wake up at like four in the morning because that's the time I'd actually be getting out. So,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah, ready to, ready to go. And then I went straight back to work. So I was back at work on Tuesday and I got to <laughs> Friday evening and I thought, I am absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> i had a week of sleep deprivation, plus jet lag, plus a week of work. So it's been quite nice to do <laughs> that. So it is a downside, but I think it's worth, worth every hour. Every hour of the jet lag, it's worth it.
0: Then you got some some guy bugging you to come on a podcast. Like
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to catch up with you guys, you know? So please don't please don't think it's a bugging us. No, no,
0: what uh, I was wondering, though, because um, I was looking at the website um, in preparation for this, and you mentioned just like uh, going for a swim and doing some other things of that nature. But what other activities are on during the day? You, you sent me a picture of, a, of somebody giving a talk. Um, are there talks every day or, or how yeah, did they? So use...
1: they, they, had, they had trade stands. So there were trade stands were a bit down this number, I think, because maybe there were fewer attendees or maybe just a, I don't know some side effects of the cancellations last year. Mm. Uh, so there weren't many trade stands but there's always you know earlier experiences and hopefully in future as well there'll be more trade stands so you, you know i get quite nervous with my credit card you know what am i going to buy <laughs> uh what have i forgotten that i need to replace you know for, for the week so they have talks during the day as well so there were two talks every day uh there's a second hand so sort of, you know bring and buy sales that people are selling stuff people buying stuff as well uh, we went out as well, went out a few days, you know, you can go into town and go and grab a bite to eat or go for a walk. Some people went to Key West as well, which is quite a cool sort of bohemian place to go and visit. People get fishing or out to the coral reef. So there's loads to do. So it's, 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 yeah, it's a, it's a week in the sun.
0: Nice, Very good. And like, so it sounds like there's a bit of a beach there. It's, it's a pretty small, it, it's a bit of an island that, that you're on there, but it's pretty small, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I mean, it, it would take you several minutes to walk, you know, the length of the, the campsite. And that doesn't take it, take you the whole length. You can then jump in your hire car, which is what I had a hire car for the week. And the next island over, the next island up the highway is called by, by a Honda. And that's a nature reserve. So you pay your entrance fee, You've got a little cool little boutique shop, a little place to go up and buy eat, And again, you can visit the beach there, swim, and sort of the nature reserve as well. Uh, so, yeah, so there's lo- loads to do, loads of things to see. Yeah. But I I quite enjoy just chilling out for a week and, you know, catching up on some reading, yeah, you know, getting getting my notes ready for the night and, you know, enjoying visiting other, you know, looking at other setups and other telescopes.
0: Yeah, you mentioned buying some stuff. Sounds like you bought a, a flashlight for a change.
1: Oh, yes. So well, this, I bought it with me, actually. You'll be well impressed with this. So this is a Explore Scientific red flashlight. So it's quite cool. But one of the things – so I put this on my old flashlight. It's got the lanyard nice so you put it around your neck because i'm always putting my flashlight down and then i think where the hell did i put it because so i've turned the light on <laughs> and you, you're moving around in the dark trying to find where you left it but of course you can't see it because has have got a light on <laughs> so that's why i treated myself to the big spender that i am and uh what else did i buy so i bought a so i got my herschel wedge which i use for my white light solar observing so i can see the sunspots but the view is still quite bright when you look through the eyepiece you have to have a, a neutral density filter or a polarizing filter just to reduce that glare down to a to a comfortable level yeah. uh, but my still in my cupboard back in england so i actually bought a secondhand moon filter uh, so ironically i was observing the sun while using a moon filter so i could <laughs> bring that glare down just to a sort of a comfortable level for the eyes
0: so speaking of the things you're observing um you mentioned taking a look at the galaxy clusters and uh and that sort of stuff um what was sort of the best things that you're able to see that you can't see uh, back in England, which is a very similar latitude as, as where we are in Saskatchewan?
1: Well, so my favourite site, without a shadow of a doubt, has got to be in the small hours of the morning, watching that Milky Way rise above mm-hmm. the sea, uh, being able to see, you know, the whole of the, uh, was it the sting of Scorpius and you got got uh, Sagittarius and all the star clouds and all the open clusters. It's such a beautiful sight being able to see that you know, absolutely wonderful. And, of course, we can't see a lot of that from, from back here. Uh, but you get to see famous sort of deep, deep sky objects. would have to be Eta Carina. Mm-hmm. Because if you think the Orion Nebula is big and bright, you know, the Eta Carina is, is huge, much bigger. Uh, and we're only seeing it a few degrees above the horizon. So some nights it's not observable, just because if you've got cloud and haze low down, you know, Eta Carina is just sort of poking through quite weakly. Uh, Omegus and Torii. So Omega Centauri, you know, this huge, uh, well, it was thought at first to be a, a globular cluster because of that dense ball of stars. But the research is now showing that it's actually a uh, core of a galaxy that's been swallowed up by the Milky Way. It's just, that's just the nucleus of the galaxy. That's all that's left. So we to, uh, sorry, Omega Centauri, which, they, which I heard that a lot of the guys over there, they call it, oh, my God, Centauri. <laughs> so, oh, my God, Centauri <laughs> is setting I mean, even in my little 90 millimeter telescope, you know, it it's a big, big cluster, you know, way, way bigger. And then M13 will be rising up in Hercules, and that's our big globular cluster up here up in the uh, from the north of Europe. So it's interesting, you can swing with my with the telescope, you swing across and you have a look at M13, and you go, oh my god, it's about a quarter the size, quarter the diameter. <laughs> so it's a it's a big, big cluster, and you just can't see that from back in back in the UK. Um what else I have a look at? So one of the other tri- things as well about Florida is if the sea temperature is the same as the land temperature. So maybe in the small hours of the morning, the two equalise and there is no poor seeing. The seeing is just perfect. There's mm. no turbulence. And I've sort of read about this and I, and I never really experienced it, but there's another guy called Bruce who was camped a, a little way down from us. And he's got this 12-inch F8 planetary Newtonian Ooh. which is like a huge circus cannon. Absolutely. But he's he's flocked the inside. He's got uh, baffling. He's got a cooling fan. He's got this tiny secondary, very thin spider veins. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the primary mirror, you can't see the tube. It is that dark wow. inside. Absolutely. You know, all homemade, all amateur, you know, telescope making made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had with a pair of binary looking at Jupiter. And Jupiter looked like a ball bearing. Yeah, it looked like a Voyager photograph. Wow you, wow. you could see, just just look, you didn't have to adjust your eyes, you don't have to wait for a period of good seeing. You could see those features inside the great red spots. You know, you could tell which moon was which by their relative colour and size. You know, you, you, oh, there's Io, it's smaller than orange and there's Wow. You know, Europa's white and Ganymede's bigger and grey. You Just by looking, you could see the different moons and stuff. Oh, uh, and close. the thing was just Perfect. Yeah, just there was just no, no tremor.
2: Wow. wow. Yeah, that so that twelve-inch f-eight is that? Uh, I think you sent a photograph of that one. Was it blue?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's big blue. He's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bruce called that. So I'm going to do. I actually spent some time with Bruce, and he talked us through the design and how he built it. So I'm going to to do a YouTube video on that. So I'll edit that down and uh, get that done. But if anyone's into making a telescope or optimizing the views, there's loads and loads and loads of tips in there. But because it's a 12-inch F8, it is a huge, yeah, the tube's eight foot long. Plus it's got the bit on the front as well. So it's actually a 10-foot long tube.
2: (laughs) And and does it, uh, I, I didn't look at the photograph too closely. Does the tube separate for transportation?
1: Yeah, so he, well, he's he got a big pickup truck, because I think you okay. need that. Yeah, but it, the the front end comes off, so he can pick it in, put it in there. But he has it on a, one of those English yoke mounts. Have you seen yeah. those? Yeah. Like the Palomar Observatory. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just a whopper of a mount. You know, it's absolutely... It's all homemade, all made on in his machine shop, you know, on his uh, wooden machine shop. So it's, at, you know, it's not a grab-and-go telescope, but he's there for the week, so... You know, he sets it up on the first day, gets it polar aligned, you know, it tracks perfectly, and he's there for the week, so he can leave it there. Sounds
2: nice. sounds like a dream setup.
1: <laughs> so And that's the sorry, sorry to interrupt you there, Chris, but that's the beauty of the star party mm-hmm. you see, you wander around and jim's looking at you know this leo galaxy ball cluster and there's you know 12 galaxies in the field of view um, my little telescope's looking at omega centauri bruce is looking at jupiter you know and you can just wander around having a look through all these different eyepieces and you know someone will be imaging something over there so you have a look at there what they're what they're photographing and capturing and stuff it is you know we're all of a like mind we're all, all there to enjoy it to enjoy being under the night sky so it is really good fun
2: Mm -hmm. You know, that aspect, Mark, and then, you know, the, the other part where you can just leave your equipment set up and when you're tired, you just crawl into bed. Um, you know, I, I just love these types of trips, uh, for all of those reasons, you know, to, to look through other equipment, other objects, and just, uh, kind of the maximization of, of observing because you can just fall asleep beside your telescope. It's wonderful.
1: Perfect, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of amazing views, then I'm also going to throw in. So it was quite interesting. So we can see M82, obviously that's way up north in uh, major, but through the 22 inch, you know, when we crank the power up, you can see the individual, you know, the clumps and the knots and the dark lanes uh, in that edge-on spiral. And Jib then he has a tech apo refractor as well that he uses for his imaging. So he's got quite a cool setup. So he can leave wow. he 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 gets the apo, you know, set up and he starts capturing his data. And he'll leave it for, you know, four or five hours, just ca- clicking away, cameras clicking away, gathering data. And he'll spend several hours then observing with the with the big dog so he can capture data and do his observing at the same time. So we then, he then captured it with the telescope, and then we were looking at it through the big dog as well, you know, seeing the features, you know, the cameras picking out. We can also pick up in the big dog as well. i um, just having a look through my notes then. Uh, did you see, did I show you the picture of M51? Yeah, I was
0: surprised you sketched M51 from down there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so obviously this is about three or four in the morning, so you have to wait for M51 to rise higher in the sky. But again, it just looked like, you know, so say if someone's imaging and you you captured a a one-minute sub and you can see the spiral arms, but, you know, there's none of that sort of real high high, you know, it's not a highly processed image. And that's what it looked like through the eyepiece. Yeah, you could see the spiral arms, you could see wow. the star clouds, the clumps of, of star forming regions in the spiral arms in M51. See the little satellite galaxy off to one side. Uh, absolutely wonderful, you know, just being able to see this stuff in real time, you know, without mm. not having to worry about camera and image processing and bringing, bringing everything out. Uh, what's another sketch here? Here it is. It's the antenna galaxies down in Corvus. Yeah. And again, yeah, I told up to the camera there as well. That's coming through, but yeah. Oh it, yeah, I, you can see them. It looks like an R zero yeah. or an A, you know, yeah. these
0: sort it of ring. Like One of those uh, Roman letters of some sort. Yeah, what they are.
1: But that's the beauty. You know, it's a dark sky. It's not super dark. You know, it's, it's affected by light pollution from the nearby town. But certainly, when you're looking south out to the sea, you know, you can you can. It's it's pretty dark. There's no light pollution to the south, and that's what the galaxies are and stuff. And we looked at so many more objects. Uh, I'm trying to think of another one. Hickson 61. Do you know that one? It's called The Box.
0: Oh, so, yeah.
1: You know that one? So I, that I've was, never
0: seen it, but I know it. Yeah.
1: It's well worth hunting down if you can. I presume, obviously, you need a pretty big telescope. Pretty big
0: to, scope for that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was three H on spirals. And there's one, two, and then three. Yeah. And then the fourth one is a little uh, lenticular galaxy Ooh. as well. So it actually makes you know a sort of a, a quadrilateral shape. So it's nicknamed the box.
0: Neat. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering though. Uh, you mentioned shooting a, a video there of of the twelve uh, inch scope. Uh, did you shoot any videos for your refreshing views YouTube channel? Like, did you do all kinds of video shooting, or or did you just shoot a little bit of the odd thing?
1: I shot a little bit of the odd thing. Um, so, Refreshing Views is the YouTube channel that I that I run. It is it is just a hobby. It's just because I enjoy doing it. So it's not a it's not a business or anything like that. It's just just fun, and work's been pretty busy over the last few months. Yeah. So it was really nice actually. Just to say I'm not going to do work. I'm not, you know, capturing. You know, it's not it's not a work trip. This it was just to enjoy being at the star party, looking at these beautiful southern objects, big telescopes, observing with other people. And not be that person who wanders around with a camera, you know, trying to capture things. (laughs) So, Bruce kindly taught me through his telescope, the 12 inch F8. Jim had his, uh, you know, two big Dobbs and and the imaging uh, Apo, the the Tech 180. Uh, So, I spent some time with him and some other guys nearby. So, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. But well, what I will do is I'm going to put together some sort of little short video clips to say the sun rotating over the week and sunspots appearing and disappearing as the, as the sun rotates. We got Jupiter's moons rotating. We have the green comets 2020 uh, ZTF. TF, ZTF. Yeah. Should say American North American listeners, yeah. uh, you know that went past the Hyades. That was quite cool seeing that every night.
0: I bet you that was that was probably pretty neat. Did you get a look at it through these uh, 22 and 28 inch scopes?
1: Well, we we had to really, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just make out if you looked with a bit of averted imagination, you could just see the very faint eye on tail as well. Yeah.
0: Now I gotta ask, did in those big scopes, because you're the first person I've talked to that pointed a really big scope at it, um, through the 28 inch, could you see the green color?
1: Uh hint, hinting at it, but not wasn't obviously green. Uh, yeah. I think it comes out best in the camera, that yeah, sort yeah. of color. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I mean it did look like a photograph, you know, just you have that big mirror capturing all that light. Yeah. But I don't know if you, I have a question for you guys then. So in the UK, it hit it hit the press. You know, the press was talking about this bright green comet mm-hmm. and first time to see it for 50,000 years, you must go out and see it. And I think it it was quite hard to find. You know, you had to I could just see mm-hmm. it as a smudge from my sort of village location. You know, if okay. I knew where to look, was it went past Polaris? And so I knew where to look and could find it and see it, and you know, saw it naked eye, saw it with the binoculars, saw it with the telescope. But yeah, people at work were saying, oh, how do I, I went out to go and look for this bright comet and find it. I was, yeah. Of course you didn't. You live in a town and you didn't know where to look. And <laughs> it, it seemed to be almost not irresponsible. I think that's probably too strong a word, but certainly misleading uh, for the press to say, go outside, see this comet. So I don't know if, did you guys have the same in,
2: in Canada? Yeah, I had similar experiences at work, um, where folks would ask me about, you know, uh, if I've seen the comet, and then a few of them attempted it themselves. And similar story just explained that it's it's kind of funny how, well, maybe not funny, it's just weird how the media latches on to some of these astronomical events and makes them sound uh, spectacular. When in fact there some of these events, like a super moon or yeah. you know this green comet, were really not as spectacular as other events that uh, we've experienced. So it's unfortunate that the media builds things up because I I think that at the end of the day it maybe steers some people away from astronomy because they hear about this amazing bright comet, they go out, they can't find it, get frustrated, and maybe that's their ast- their astronomy experience, which is too bad, but.
1: Yeah, there's a joke uh, magazine in the UK called Viz, which is kind of an adult's rude magazine. And they had a feature in there about the the disappointeds, the the disappointed meteor shower is going to come along. And there's no point going out to see it anyway, because it'd be cloudy and no one would see anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, have you gone to other star parties as well? Uh, You know, say closer to home or abroad?
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, star parties in the UK, so our big two, there are more, but there are big two. So one is the Kelling Heath, the Norfolk uh, Equinox Star Party. That's one I spoke to you about last time up on on the English coast. And that's good fun. And again, you know, a few few hundred observers, big telescopes, little telescopes, yeah, it's a social thing. Uh, But that's only for a sort of a long weekend at the actual main event is, whereas this winter star party is for, for a week. Uh, I'd love to do some of the other North American ones or even better go to like Australia, do some of their star parties. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. I do think one day when I'm retired, I've fortunately got too many years to go yet, but doing, you know, going out to Florida in February for the, winter star party and then you'd have cherry springs and then you'd have texas star party and okie yeah. tech and you'd finish up there's one in british Columbia, isn't there the mount Co- Cobal? is that how you pronounce it
0: yeah yeah i've been to that one it's uh get a good vehicle <laughs> yeah that's gonna yeah. that's gonna challenge your your driving and uh and other skills on the way up
1: yeah, yeah. but i think just to have a sort of six month road trip you know to combine you know exploring north america but do do it in an rv and yeah i think that'd be good fun to do because your your nearest one's grasslands isn't it from what you were saying earlier
0: yeah well we we really just do the grasslands is more like a public outreach event than okay than a proper star party Uh, people should kind of know that i think initially i kind of hoped it would be you know sort of evolve maybe into more like a regular star party but there's a couple of limiting factors. Uh, it's extremely remote. It's it's the darkest place that I've ever been to, but it's just so remote, and it gets uh, it gets toasty warm during the day. You know, you can be up into the mid forty degrees Celsius with like wow. 100% humidity. It's it it is a little bit rough. So I kind of I kind of get it, but it's sort of something I think everybody should experience at least once. So we bother to haul the telescopes down there and. Um, get ourselves set up, and and people come and take a look. And yeah, it's always funny because people show up and they're like, "Oh, it must have, it must be really this must be the hottest weekend of the year down here?" And I'm like, "It's it's just hot down here." <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. where you
2: had
1: the bison, the bison were wandering yep, past. That's
0: where the bison are. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. But there there is another like the, there is one big star party in Cypress Hills, which is um, so uh, to the west of us, uh, the neighboring provinces Alberta. Cypress Hills is an interprovincial park. It's it's right on the line. And uh, every August new moon is the Saskatchewan summer star party there. And that's a proper star party where there's usually about 300 astronomers that will attend and presentations during the day. Um, and it's, uh, it's the highest elevation in Canada, east of the Rocky Mountains. So- okay. Um, it's usually dry, uh, which means no mosquitoes, um, you know, which is, uh, a very rare and unique thing in this province in this summertime. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty good site too. It's not, it's not quite as dark as grasslands, but, uh, you know, you do gain some elevation. So there's some, some trade-offs there.
1: It's funny, isn't it? We we were joking, you know, one night there was a little bit of humidity in the air, and uh, the wind was up, and you know, could we quite see the zodiacal light? Maybe we couldn't see the Genghis Khan. You know, it, it was it was that sort of night, and people were saying, "Well, it's not that good, isn't it?" I said, like, "God, I wish my sky was back home were this bad." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark,
0: I I want to ask a question about traveling with uh, with the refractor because the 90 millimeter Megras is, is not a tiny telescope; it's a smaller telescope, but um, did you
1: take that on as a carry-on, or did you? Yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. So I bought one of these cameras. Made by a company called Vanguard, and they make uh, sort of you know tough camera cases. Okay. So I bought one that was airline. Yeah, meets the carry-on size restrictions, and then it has a central section that you can put the telescope in, and has little pockets around it so you put the camera lens, the eyepieces, the view, all go in there. A uh, little finder scopes, so I have a little red dot finder. That all goes in sketching kit, spare batteries, uh, you know, notebook, pocket sky atlas. That can all go in the case. That comes with me in the cabin, so that just goes in the overhead locker. And then, I uh, in the suitcases, I'll have my tents, sleeping bag, the tripods, star tracker. That all goes in the hold. So when you're going
0: through security with uh, with that Vanguard case with all that optical gear in it. Any any troubles going through security? Just throw no, it no, on the uh, no, conveyor no, belt, no, goes no, through the x-ray.
1: Yeah, it all goes through x-ray. Uh, it doesn't come glowing green out the other end. They must have hundreds of photographers going through. You know, we yeah. we think it's something special. I just say I'm a photographer. Um, I think I've been searched once, but that might just been a random search. Or, yeah. Yeah, I've, n- I've never had any problems taking stuff through. Sometimes it's because they're into photography or into astronomy as well. Oh. And they say, "Oh, what's in here? We want to, we want to have a look at it." <laughs> <laughs> so the funniest thing I have heard is, you know, people take get their DSLR cameras and then put the uh, Peltier cooler on the back. Okay, yeah. So when it gets X-rayed, you have then got this camera with this metal thing welded to the back of the sensor with loads of wires coming off it. And apparently that that, that that's a surefire way to get stopped by security.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: But not the regular telescope. Yeah, that's good to know. Cause that's sort of one of those questions that is uh, often debated on, on the forums and that sort of yeah. thing. I've traveled with my FS 60. I've traveled with it both ways in the cabin, as well as in the, uh, in the storage and definitely would recommend taking uh the optics out and and traveling with them in the cabin or taking the scope in the cabin for sure yeah it's just not worth it down below so
1: one of the things i have been toying with and i'd love to know if you guys have ever seen this but get making one of those you know maybe a 12 or a 14 inch but one of those travel dobsonians oh yeah really mm-hmm. lightweight you know after skeleton tube assembly and then you'd have a 12 inch you know under these dark skies that you again you can put the you put the the primary mirror and the your eyepieces in the secondary. That will goes into the case in your overhead cabin, uh, in in the overhead co- uh, compartment. Uh, and again, while the trust tubes they they can go in the hold. Uh, but then you arrive and you've got a, a you know a twelve inch dog, not a ninety millimeter refractor.
2: Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the intriguing things. We've we've had a couple folks on recently that uh, are into amateur telescope making. Um, and that is the one, well, there's many things that intrigue me about that, but having a large aperture travel telescope is one of the key things. Like, I think that would be amazing to, to be able to build one and then, you know, take it to the winter star party in Florida.
1: Yeah. That would be cool. Wouldn't it to have a, a nice big Dob out there?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think we had a guy bring uh, one of the obsession, uh, ultralights with them to the, uh, grasslands Eighteen inch, yeah, yeah an 18. An eighteen inch. Oh wow, yeah. He was from Germany. He came all the way from Germany to to observe there. But it's it's surprising how seldom we get people. Usually, it's like one or two people every year that have come, and they have you know some sort of prior astronomy experience. But then, like the other, however many dozen people that are there, it's just like a sort of a fun thing to do on a on a one weekend of the year kind of thing for them. Do they do public? I was looking at the schedule for the uh, Winter Star Party there, and do they do public observing there? It's just like public observing a bunch of nights, or or is it just mostly the amateurs that are observing there?
1: So it was mostly the amateurs, I think, because they have to pay to hire the campsite. You have to pay to come, in. even if you came in for just one night. You still got to pay your entrance fee. Uh, So yeah, so there's not there's not members of the public. Uh we did have one problem on, on it was actually on several nights. Luckily it didn't affect us too much, but they were resurfacing the highway, the highway that runs past Oh. campsite. Oh, and um, you could hear the cursing from the far end. Because of course they're working at night, so that's obviously when the traffic's less, but they were setting up those massive spotlights, yeah, of just to, to do their construction work. And it was just by sheer chance, yeah, they happened to be going past the campsite on the night, you know, on the week that the star party is there. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we were sheltered. Luckily, we could see it in the distance. You can see the sort of glow. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, see, we didn't observe over there, we observed over here. But you know, they got a schedule to keep and you yeah, know, they're on the contract to deliver the road resurfacing in a certain period of time. So they they weren't stopping for, for no one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did there was a lot of people cursing at the far end. So hopefully that road will be resurfaced and won't need to be touched for the next yeah, 20 years or however long a road surface lasts out there.
2: Yeah. We we've had similar uh, experiences in the grasslands. So it's surrounded by a lot of farmland. And when we've gone later in the year, August, September, uh, sometimes they're harvesting, you know, whatever crop they had planted. And there is a little bit of light, but there's also usually a lot of dust in the air that they kick up, which, you know, is kind of annoying, but it's just one of those random events that you sort of accept when you go, you know, on destination astronomy trips, you just can't control all of the variables. So you, you do what you can. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: So, so I, I have some more questions about, like, using the 28-inch down there, um, just because it's such a big telescope. When, when you guys were using that, did you point it at, uh, like, M42, the Orion Nebula, or the Horsehead, or any of those sort of objects?
1: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, every, every night. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> when you I, were I, looking I at them, it. like, what, what did you see, and were you able to see any color in them?
1: So didn't see any color. Uh, in the 2018 i get that sort of that green that milky um gray okay color. uh but i mean yeah it's it's like looking at costum well, i think i'm always going to go out and say looking at the orion nebula through a telescope is the only deep sight object that looks better in the eyepiece than it does in an image mm-hmm. because when i see images of the orion nebula you know to capture all that faint outer stuff you, you've got to overexpose the core. Whereas, of course, when you look through a telescope, you've got those four bright stars of the trapezium. Plus, of course, there's loads of other stars around it in a 28-inch scope. You've got the really faint stars embedded in the nebulosity. You've got the dust lanes. You've got that that really bright bar. Was it the Huygens bar? You've mm. got the fish mouth. You can see M43 alongside it. And it's just, I mean, this. I love sketching and I love getting the notebook out and trying to see. what. And I look at the Orion Nebula through a 28-inch scope and I think... That that's a weeks project to do that, to, yeah. to, to capture that. You know, all the delicate little cotton wool like cloud-like nebulosity. It is is amazing. Absolutely just blows you away that that looking through the big scope. So that was often our warm-up night. And if people were visiting and wondering to have a look past, that was the classic object to, to show them in the telescope. And the only downside, of course, when you look through the through the 90 millimeter mega ray, of course, it doesn't look a bit like it. So <laughs> that's the problem. You never look through a telescope you can't afford.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's that's good advice. I like it.
1: So yeah, what else? We, I mean, yeah, M eighty one, M eighty two, the the you know all the classic objects. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. M one, the bright comets. You know, waiting for the Virgo cluster to come up. So you, you know, Markarian's chain, M eighty seven. Yeah, there's, there was just so many things to see, and it it was just wonderful. You know, be able to see that you know it, it became quite hard certainly going through virgo you i so the 28 inch had go to and tracking mm-hmm. and the 22 inch was pushed to uh but then you often sometimes had to tweak it a little bit so you're tr- you're trying to work it out with a with a tail rad and trying to you know with the wide angle eyepiece um but yeah going through virgo you know you are you're not star hopping you're you <laughs> Yeah. You know, sure. Particularly a bit around Mark Arian's chain, trying to work out, you know, the eyes and the ones on the side, and then this one and this one. Oh, so that must be M87, and that must be this, and that must be that. But it wasn't the stars you're using, it was the galaxies. You know, there was just that many in the field of view at any one time.
2: Wow.
1: And was it the hockey stick, the whale, the whale and the little ones? It's got the calf, hasn't it, alongside? The one that's, you know, curved like a whale's back. Yeah, all those, all those cool galaxies. Yeah, yeah. You you
0: Fornax a bit, I think. Taking a look at some of those objects.
1: Yeah, Fornax. Fornax was setting because it's a little bit further uh, towards the west. But you yeah, know, so we've uh, it was at thirteen sixty five NGC 1365, That spiral galaxy. Yeah. M eighty three. That was. I was going to ask
0: about M eighty three. Yeah, uh, because it's so <laughs> low from our latitudes, right?
1: Yeah. So I I think up from England because it's it's the last. Is it? It's right over to one side, isn't it? It's the furthest. Uh, trying to get my bearings right furthest west isn't it of all the um messy uh, of the sort of Virgo cluster yep. galaxies isn't it and it's quite far south so I think I've only seen it a handful of times from the UK over say 20 years because it rises so late uh, in that spring sky and of course there it is it's it's 20 degrees 30 degrees up in the sky you know you can see the spiral arms you can yep. see the star clouds and stuff in it so you know every three Never have that view of it back home in the UK, and there it is, high, bright, easy to see.
0: Nice, nice, yeah. very good. Yeah,
1: you sort of run out of things, and Mark, we looked at Mars, uh, and of course, even though Mars is getting really quite small now, as we're wait, we're, we're sort of several months past opposition. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you can still see the dark markings on it. You still see the the, the desert features. You know, the so that was big to telescope. It.
0: That must have been something to see through those big uh, 22 and 28-inch scopes.
1: Yeah, that was pretty cool.
0: Very neat. Very neat. So if someone was going to go to the uh, Winter Star Party there in Florida, uh, what would be sort of some general advice? Like how much planning and that did you have to do to kind of get geared up to go? Or or is it pretty easy to to go in there since they cater to uh, astronomers?
1: Yeah, so it's pretty easy once you're there. The, the hard part is the logistics of getting mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So of course you got to make sure you got accommodation sorted. So are you going to camp overnight? Are you going to stay locally and drive in and out? Have you got a vehicle? Yeah. Uh, travel? Uh, yeah. Getting all the the sort of um, which has to do. the American what's the American thing? You've got a f- well we have to. I don't know if you Canadians have to, but we have to do an ESTA your uh, the travel authorization. No, so you got to type all that you stuff in. <laughs> and, yeah, you just cross the border, don't you? We used to do the same in Europe in, in Britain, but for some reason we decided we didn't want to travel freely and easily. So. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so yeah, so logistically it's hard once you're there, it's fine. I had a high car as well because, of course, I flew into Miami. And then yeah. stayed overnight at the airport hotel. So you know it's a long day. You know you got. Two, I'm a couple of hours from London, so it's a two hour drive. You have got to be there two hours early, and it's a ten hour flight. So the last thing I want to do is then jump in a hire car and drive for three hours. So I stayed overnight at the airport hotel and yeah. drove the following morning. Uh, yeah, so I think that's that's why I say logistics is the hard part. Yeah. And when I was there, I mean, I think you'd have a great time if you took a pair of binoculars. Yeah, a camera on a tripod and, you know, introduce yourself to, to the people around you. You know, you, you'd you have a wonderful time just, just by doing that. Everyone's so friendly. You know, the talks, uh, the speakers, the presentations. It's really good fun. Uh, sun cream, mosquito repellent, you're definitely going to need that. And well. then, yeah, well, the other thing I also do is I have to buy a, a chair, a, a, a seat. Because, of course, you you can't stand up for the entire week. So every week I buy, I drop into the... Oh, my brain's getting too much now. But what's the sort of hardware, the American hardware store that's in every town?
2: Home Depot?
1: Home Depot. And then you go into the one in Marathon, you buy your little camping $15 uh, chair. Uh, And, of course, the last thing I want to do is put that on the plane to come back because that's going to put me over my weight limit. So every year I give away a chair. You know, just... (laughs) (laughs) People say, you've got to bring it back so I can then use it You know, ne- next year. Uh, so. Never see it again. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Cool. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's sort of the routine. So I so they opened the gates at midday, or they did early. Well, the problem was they had was this construction traffic, so they had to open that They didn't want a big load of uh, cars all parked up outside uh, outside the gate at midday, so they actually opened the doors earlier this time to avoid that sort of cars getting away with the construction traffic. So you then have that charge at midday to get into the, to, to pick the prime spots. But luckily everyone goes to the burn where the, the, the horizons are better. So I then turn right and, and nip into the sort of more sheltered spots down by the trees.
2: Yeah. Last question for me, Mark, um, and, and I'm not sure if you would know or not, but how many, uh, how many people come from outside of North America or is there very many at all?
1: Yeah, there's not many, not yeah. many. I'm I'm amazed at how many people come from you know the the sort of further away states. Yeah, you, know, you get a lot of people from Florida, Carolina, Georgia, mm-hmm. and sort of states around. Uh, sort of relatively local, but even so, people from northern Florida still got an all day drive. You know, it's still yeah. six six hour drive from, from northern Florida. Uh, but I w- there's not many, not many who had different accents. Um, but I say, I take my hat off to the people from Montreal and Quebec and, you know, northern Toronto and from Ontario. It's a three-day drive to get there. They reckon about 20 hours driving. And wow. they said, as you head out of Canada, you hit, you know, the northern states, you know, you start to see the snow disappear. And then by the time you're in Georgia, you know, the Carolinas, you know, the snow is nice and warm again. <laughs> you have this wonderful week and you drive back and it gets colder and colder and the snow starts appearing. <laughs>
0: I've done that drive before.
1: <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> I mean, goodness knows how people do it. So, yeah, I have a wonderful time. I sit there on the plane, you know, bite to eat, watch a movie, have a beer, you know, yeah. have a sleep. And <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get out of the other end, I have a two-hour drive home. Yeah, so.
0: Nice. Anything to uh, to add to this uh, trip to, to Florida that people might be interested in, Mark?
1: I say just, just you've got to do it. I'd love to do more American-style parties. You know, we we get to see these objects that's so much further south. Very warm, very welcoming. You know, being under those tropical skies, you say goodbye to the the grey skies of Northern Europe, and go and enjoy those 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 views. You know, down down by the tropics. It's absolutely wonderful. Thoroughly recommended. Nice. Well, well, what I'm hoping is that not everyone goes, uh, you know, I want to have my space for next year.
0: <laughs> exactly. So you're planning to go back next year as well, eh? Yeah. Oh, definitely.
1: Definitely. Would you guys consider it? Would you guys go?
2: Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I'm always interested in winter getaways, you know, to someplace warm. And if I can do astronomy, that's even better. So this yeah. is, uh, yeah, I'm going to look into it next year, Mark, for sure. Oh,
1: fantastic. I,
0: I have gone to Florida to to do astronomy. I just didn't go to the winter star party. <laughs>
1: So, the one I'd love to do, and I read about it in Cloudy Nights, so they do one in Australia. Uh, I can't remember, Oz Sky? The
0: Oz, yeah, the Oz Sky. Yeah, somebody was sending us uh, info on that. Yeah, that one looks like a great time.
1: Oh, my goodness. And it's run by those Australian the Australian amateurs who run it. So, they provide the telescopes. So, you just turn up with your favorite eyepiece and your, yeah. your, your notebook and, and your camera. And they provide the telescopes. And do you want to use the 25 inch, the 20-inch, the big binoculars? You know, they'll they'll set it up for you. Uh but you're in you're staying in a motel, you know, they they turn all the lights off in the motel, so you you can see all this southern Australian sites. So one one year I must have to go further south and love to go to the southern hemisphere, see the Magellanic clouds, see the Milky Way right Mm -hmm. overhead, see ET Karina, yeah, right
2: Mm -hmm. overhead. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the dream. <laughs> yes,
0: I missed. I missed my trip to New Zealand. Looks like I'm going to the Netherlands next.
1: Oh, he... <laughs> well, we're not that far from the Netherlands. I know. Actually? I know.
0: We'll probably go to England on the way. I think.
1: <laughs> oh, back. that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'd love to go to, go to a star party in England, since that's where I really caught the astronomy bug. Uh, ironically, you caught the astronomy bug in Canada. <laughs> yes.
1: I heard, uh, oh, my head! Oh, such sad news, wasn't it? Uh, Terence Dickinson's passed away.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah he passed yeah. away on the first of uh, February, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Oh, so so sad, isn't it? Yes, because he gave a talk at the school I was working at in in Ontario. And uh he was that's when Hail Bop, Comet pop and Comet Kentucky crossed the sky. Yeah. And it was with my borrowed pair of binoculars. And I thought, well, I've seen two comets and they've both been amazing, so therefore all comets must be amazing. And <laughs> little did I know it'd be about 25 years before I said another really bright big <laughs> comet.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, it was great having you on, Mark. Uh, anything anything else to add? No, that would be great. Thank you very much for having me. So I wish you all clear skies and clear and warm and mosquito-free skies.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for joining us. And uh, listeners, be sure to check out uh, Mark's YouTube channel. Like He just does it for fun like we do. Uh, he's uh, on YouTube, Refreshing Views. That's where you'll find his videos on visual observing, equipment, observatory tours, which, I, which I've which i been really enjoying, uh, sketching, imaging. He does both sketching and imaging and uh, does some uh, observing travel for uh, stargazing. Uh quick note of thanks also to our Patreon supporters, Troy, Blake, and Chris, and everybody else who supports the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening.
2: Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.